Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones. And this is the Church Planner Podcast. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. And just like last time, we're letting the good stuff go before we start <laughs> recording. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, dude, what what's been up in your life, man? Oh man. Okay, so I've been working so much and now that I'm I'm old, I got to wear these readers. It freaking hurts my head, right? Like the sides of my head behind my ears are hurting from the glasses pressing in. What's up? Dude. Dude, I so it's weird. Like we've been at this now. This would be like 10 years that we've been at this. I know. It wasn't until the last time you're like we were the maybe it was last time we were talking you were like Oh, we were the first weekly church planning podcast like, we were. to be on iTunes. And I'm like, holy crap, I didn't realize that. But yeah, man, we're old. I got my readers at Costco this year, too. <laughs> I literally, I time in Costco. You know, they sell them in packs of three. I buy a couple of those at a time, and I place them throughout the house. So that way I never have to, like, where's my reader? They're right you're, there. You're That's so smart. Mine are in the garage, because when I'm working on stuff, I can't see and this morning, I was going through cards from Exponential, and I'm like, I can't read his phone number. Doesn't and I'm like, stuck? I got, I, I got to run down to the garage and get my readers. And then Andrew was telling me, she goes, Oh, once you know your prescription, you just go to Rite Aid and pick them up for ten bucks. I'm like, What? So this is this is a uh, old smack talk with Peyton and Pete teaching you how to be old because it's weird, man. I'm pushing fifty. I turned fifty this year, fifty. What's your birthday? It's got to be coming up, right? That's coming up in June, and I'm gonna have a Hobbit party. You want to come? June. Yeah, what? not a dress up Hobbit party, but I'm totally doing garden lights in the <laughs> trees. Is, is this for all your friends? Because you're all short. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You would have been. You could have been like whatever Gandalf is. I would have been know? the He's troll. Kinda... I would have been the big troll. Ooh, yeah, you're kind of jacked like that troll. Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm actually doing a. Uh, hobbit party you know how like bilbo has his little hobbit party 
I'm just having my friends out in my garden, have it lit up, have some good beers, some meat pies, you know, all the stuff I shouldn't eat. Because, brother, I am on a massive health kick right now. Are you? Like, I'm, oh, dude, I'm going for it. Like, 100. I'm telling you, man, you got to call the doctor and talk to him about some TRT. I'm telling you, I tested. They're like, dude, your tea is off the charts high. You are the most masculine man we've ever Shut met. Shut up. Are you serious? There's <laughs> no, no but, way. But my tea, is, my tea is doing good. I, I actually got labs drawn, no. and they're like, oh, yeah, your tea's fine. No, don't listen to those doctors. Don't listen to the medical people. Talk to listen my to doctors. supplement people. Dude, talk to my doctors. <laughs> we'll find a reason. To listen to the drug companies, Peyton. Listen to Big Pharma. They're your friend. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I, well, see, did they test total tea or free tea? I bet you they just tested total and not free. Oh, uh, you, you see, you start talking science terms to me. I'm, I'm going to start, you know. I don't know, man. I don't know what I'll do then because, you know, I listen to all that science talk during COVID and, you know, I don't know. But uh... <laughs> the trust the back. science. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, whose science am I trusting right now? That's what I want to know. Oh, my gosh, dude. That conversation, though, yesterday that we had via that text chat was off the chain. Oh, yeah. Tell them about our text chat. This is actually former podcast listeners now that they know us maybe they won't listen but well really there was only one former podcast listener oh just Vinny. steve-o wasn't a listener i, I it was no, Vinny. no just Vinny. steve i could see steve-o listening to the new one i just can't see steve-o going back and listen to the old one <laughs> like here's the crazy part we started the the podcast when he was like 13 <laughs> like what no way dude he's like 23 holy crap i didn't realize he was that young yeah he's like 23 24 oh my gosh. Like that. no yeah so-, so we've we've got this uh this chat group and the name changes all the time but um it's it's Vinny, Vin, vince cordero who uh we used to mention him because he would drop no. this funny no we never knew him I thought he was one of the guys that would drop all that funny crap on Facebook. No, you, we oh, okay. never knew him. In My fact, brain's going. We've talked about. Yeah, this. he he even like when you first like got introduced to him, he's like, "Oh yeah, we've met before," and you're like, "Oh really?" <laughs> like, so no, funny. so he's he's no, he's not, he's not <laughs> one of the guys from before. No, what happened was apparently we're friends on Facebook, probably because he's a, a church planner. Yeah. And I mentioned, oh, you know, I got a Vic on Fortnite. He's like, oh, you play? Here, friend me. Oh, my gosh. And honestly, I was like, wow, a, a friend on Fortnite? This, this, okay. <laughs> like, well, so now it's almost nightly that we all play Fortnite. The old podcast witnessed your uh, your hobbies, right? <laughs> we went through, let's see, if I, if I remember. The I charger, won't remember all these. The yeah, the Charger was one. Uh, guns, working my out, Fortnite. Line. My favorite line from the charger is when I'm telling you about the charger and I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at it and you go, what kind of gas mileage does it get? And I go, cares. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently now they're putting uh, a speaker because it in has the to charger. be electric. Oh my gosh. So, so you press the, the, the pedal, which gives you an electrical charge and then it engages a speaker that goes vroom, vroom <laughs> under your dashboard. Yes. I can't. I honestly sometimes cannot believe the world that we're living well, in. Well, at least Dodge goes, hey, the only reason why we're going to electric is because the government's making us. We don't want to do this, but we basically don't have a choice. 
So yeah. at least they were like, we don't want to go to an electric charger and challenger, but we got no choice. There should be settings on that thing, though, when you hit the gas that shouldn't just go vroom. There should be a screeching tires effect as well, right? And then in the back, like this sirens, like you should have different levels of this, right? Then like calling in the the National Guard, almost like uh, Grand Theft Auto. There ought to be different settings on the charger. I bet you someone will hack it, and when you press the gas, it's going to go, <laughs> Eat you, mama! <laughs> <laughs> Ijaba no bada. Oh, wouldn't that be rad? You got oh all these Oh my gosh, dude. If you could, like, come up with whatever the speaker says, like if oh, you could... Oh my gosh. La cucaracha, la cucaracha. I, <laughs> like, I used okay. to have Mr. T in your pocket in my car. I think I still have Vader in there where I can play. In fact, actually, no. He's right here. Uh, for such a time as this. All right, you ready? This This is what I used to have in my car, but I had Mr. T in your pocket like... Shut up, fool. I mean, that that's great, right? Like, I would love that if Mr. Mr. T would be like my ways, like, I pay the fool doesn't make the right turn at the light. That would be amazing, right? If he was like your ways voice. See, come on. I, I didn't awesome. even hear it. What was that? You didn't hear it? Oh. You can't hear that? No, no, <gasps> not at all. Stupid speaker. It was all right. Well, Dodge. I bet you it was it, made by Dodge. Yeah, probably. But uh, but anyway, so we're in this group. Tell, tell them what happened yesterday. Oh, no. So we got into some theological topic. I don't even remember what kicked it off. But, you know, you got Vinny, who's a church planner. Me, who's a schmuck who's been hanging out with church planners. You're in it. But you're always so busy that I just kind of assume you ignore most of the chats that go on in there. But there had to have been... I don't know, 200 texts, 300 texts yesterday, back and forth. And then we got Adam, that's uh, Vinny's brother-in-law, Steve-O, who's been in Vinny's church plant. And, uh, man, what, how do you remember? <laughs> I remember the the punchline, because I had that joke. I've been holding on to it for like an hour. I'm like, I really want to tell this joke so bad, but I don't want to <laughs> make him feel bad. And so, like, he had said something, like one of the guys, I won't even say which one it was, but one of the guys had said something, that was, um, it just didn't make any sense if you you read the Bible. <laughs> so my, I go, can I tell this joke I've been holding on to for an hour? And he goes, of course you can. That's the way we are. We all joke around in this group. Oh, my gosh. And so I took a snapshot of it, and I reposted it, and I go, tell me you don't read the Bible without telling me you don't read the Bible. <laughs> it was so funny, man. What's really funny is that is that is new Pete Mitchell. Do you mind if I tell this joke that I've been holding on to for an hour? O.P. Mitchell would not have held back. Well, because it was also about reading the Bible. And I I, yeah. I don't know, you know, someone's uh, walk where they're at. And it's like, you know, I don't want to, like, be a, the, the Christian jerk. <laughs> I think that yeah. might have been part of what we were talking about. It was yeah. like Christians who assume stuff and stuff like that. But No, that's fair. That's fair. But one of my um, other favorite <laughs> lines was uh, one of the guys goes, there's nothing about race in the Bible. And I go, the Bible's full of race. You ever heard of the Jews? <laughs> I was dying with that, man. Oh, it was it, so was, it much. was a great conversation back and forth. So much about that in the Bible. I was you trying know, to work, and I'm like, but I got a comment here. I, oh gotta, man, I, I saved mine this. up. I saved mine up and then wrote a a, a quick book. I think it was well, then you Women said, in hey, Ministry. Go listen was to my mine. audios right here, everybody. Go go play my audios. Yeah, well, I, I, I just did in, some of you don't know this, but I, I work for Through the Word, 
which is a big old Bible app that uh, Chris Langham, uh, he was a new breed and was one of our planters. And um, actually, he wasn't quite a planter. He had planted in Bay St. Louis um, years ago and had a rough go there. But I was post uh, Gee, Hurricane Katrina. Church planter, a rough go. <laughs> yeah, who'd have thunk it? Uh, but, but he ended up, um, taking refuge in Long Beach, but I mean, through the word has just grown. I think there's like, there's 13 full-time employees now, like they just exploded. Yeah. I mean, they're in the millions of listeners now. Like I remember when we were impressed, like I I go to, he has a hundred thousand listeners and you're like, what? And we're like, yeah, now they're just, they're insane. Like you'll see them on you version. If you go on there, they're featured all the time. And then, and then we got like this little, uh, our, our little posse of friends who listen to this podcast after 10 years. <laughs> yeah. 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 Actually, w- this podcast does okay, man. It like, did okay. I, I mean, we're rebooting it. So who knows now, right? Yeah. No. Hey, with Robert Frazier on board, even though we're going to make fun of him a ton, hey, it, it, it'll be good. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's funny because just got back from, uh, ex- well, I was going to say about Through the Word. Um, I did, uh, first Timothy. And of course that's where the one verse that seems to forbid women from teaching (laughs) and people are, Oh, there's other verses. What the one that says no speaking, uh, yeah, sure. Try, try to, try to explain that one, um, by saying women shouldn't ever talk in church. Good luck with that. Um, but what about, you know, they got to wear a hat. Yeah. Yeah, so when you're looking at that kind of stuff, everybody goes to those and says, oh, well, that's cultural. But when it comes to the teaching one, people go, nope, plain reading. And so I always go to the second part. I say, well, oh, let's look at the plain reading of the of the second part of the verse. She shall be saved through childbearing. And they go, oh, well, that's Eve. I mean, Mary. I mean, oh, no, it says if she continues in love and patience and faith and and they're like, oh, so I'm like, yeah, let, let's not talk about plain reading here. Let, that is a complicated verse. Let's look at it carefully. And uh, Chris and I, I would say, did a masterful. And the reason I know it was masterful was we recorded for three hours our first time. And something happened to one of our audio recordings. Chris's, it totally disappeared. So we had to redo it. And it was so much better the second time. We're like, thank you, Lord. That was rad. But if you want to hear a masterful exposition, you have to get the Through the Word app, listening to that day. It's 10 minutes. And then if you enable uh, show B-sides, B-sides are where we talk through the actual, um, if there's a controversy or a complicated issue, we'll give ourselves more time. Like we might do a 20-minute B-side. We did three. So there's like an hour of content on that where we unpack it and walk through it and help people navigate. Why have I never heard this? Why did, why when it says take authority over a man, it says strangle to death. What does that mean? Where's the connection? What was happening in the church? So we, we talked through all of that. And I think we make a pretty compelling argument. I, I wouldn't say like watertight, like you have no room to have your own opinion, but if, if what we can do is at least say, hey, you don't got to be a liberal and you don't need to undermine Paul. What I would argue is you don't understand what Paul is saying here. And I think I can help. So mm. might sound arrogant, but 
Um, you know, I mean, we we all approach a scripture with different. I, yesterday in the conversation, someone was like, "But we shouldn't have disagreements." And I, I oh, said, "Oh yeah, well, that was part of that conversation." I said, "Well, here's the thing. I mean, you explain to me what Paul meant by baptism of the dead in First Corinthians, because I don't know what in the heck he's talking about, and no scholar does." And uh, you can have your opinion and I can have my, like, there are things in the scripture that just take a little bit of work, time and understanding. In some things, like Peter says, Paul writes some things that are hard to understand, which some twist to their own destruction. So, you know, I mean, that's par for the course, isn't it? Mm. Oh, we got so, deep again. Look at that. We got deep. We did. We did. This is supposed to be smack. We apologize. Those of you that are coming back, ah, this isn't like the old one. All right, let's talk Star Wars. No, we're mature now. Oh, you know, I haven't seen the new, uh, what is it, Mandalorian? Is that the new season that's out? Yeah. I haven't seen any yeah. of it. Okay. All right. But what did you think of Andor? Have we discussed this? You know, um, I really didn't like the first half. Right? Was it like 12 episodes? I don't remember how long it was, but I remember yeah. it took a long time to get into it. And then I was like hooked, but it yeah. took a lot to get into it. Probably like the I... first six episodes. Dude, I cannot disagree with you. I it at first when I'm not seeing stormtroopers and I'm seeing this like firm that they hired to police, like the the Empire oh, subcontracting right. to the security guards. I'm like, oh, that's weird. I came to really like that, and that villain is so creepy, right? Like he's just so weird. He's like a mama's boy. The way they wrote him was so masterful. At first, I'm like, oh, this is totally like young people. You know, they're. They're writing this this weird villain that's, and after a while, I was like, no, he's just, they've set up, we we were talking about Rogue One the other day, and we were saying, like, the villain in Rogue One, the way they made oh. him such a ponce with his white cape and everything, they did such a good job, and this felt like that to me. It actually felt like Rogue One and Andor really are connected. Like, it is the show you would have expected from Rogue One. I just thought it was good. And it it has that same flavor. So I thought they did well on that. Boba Fett, all I needed at the end was to watch Boba Fett riding a Rancor monster and all was forgiven, except for the Rainbow Scooters. I still can't oh. get over the Scooter Gang that they were a thing. They actually tanked and ruined the show. But I'll always have Boba Fett riding a Rancor. Yeah, no, I Boba Fett, it only got good when they brought back the Mandalorian. <laughs> yes. It's more about the Mandalorian. Yes. Yes, true. And, but see, even the Mandalorian, the first season was really hard for me to get into. Oh, like really? I like the second season a lot better. Yeah, I know. But, but see, you and I also have very different opinions on, well, most movies and TV. That is true. That is true. Like, like you're, uh, you're the Notebook, and I'm Taken. So you know, those are like our, our movie genres. <laughs> the Notebook, really? That's what I get. I do have to say, Notebook is a fine film. Uh, I'm not going to lie. And darn it, the Gilmore Girls has great dialogue. <laughs> well, dude, I got to. Why doesn't she just get together with Luke? What's wrong with Lorelai? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, so I just want to know if Rory's going to be okay. Did she pick the right guy? Shouldn't it have been Jess? Why oh did she go God. for Logan at the end? Anyways. Uh... My wife's on a, a, a parenthood uh, redux. She has watched, I think, three or four times. But alas, we digress. How do we get here? Uh, Top Gun Maverick was totally hallmark for boys, though. I think we've had that discussion. Uh, by the way, it's coming out on Amazon Prime this month. So if you didn't buy it, it? Uh, you don't have to. 
Okay, so I was not a great fan of that movie, except for the flying scenes were unreal. See, and this cool. is why I say you and I have totally I different tastes. I'm just like, poking the bear. That that was like <laughs> one of the best movies by far of the the, the decade. Maybe I, I don't know over the last ten years. It was great. It was it was like those commercials in the '80s, like the Miller highlight commercials that were like. Here's to you, Wrecking Ball Operator. Wrecking Ball Operator. Remember those? You like, didn't like those? No, I love those commercials, but it was like that. And so this is what I was going to say. When I went into it, I wasn't quite expecting what they did. And what they did actually was genius in that film. It's kind of like when you watch Stranger Things. And I had to reflect on it and realize it later. Because I came out going, that was so cheesy. But those flight scenes were rad. What I didn't realize that they were doing is they were like, dude, we actually are making a sequel that feels like a sequel to Top Gun. If you go back to your mindset in the 80s, where you're at, we're actually making an 80s sequel. And I was like, oh, you know what? Actually, that's pretty genius because it did still feel like Top Gun. I don't understand an 80s sequel. Oh, it had all the 80s stuff like the um, not the volleyball game, but the the football game it had all of the like machismo like one-liners like cheesy one-liners from the 80s but it 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 was cool like if you went into it and were like i need an 80s sequel movie that's what you got no it was cool if you have a soul it was cool (laughs) that was just a great movie yes but i i can't say what i was gonna say it's probably best (laughs) if you don't because my opinion of you just keeps going lower and lower the more we we talk, but you know I'm aware of that when I bring it up. I actually gain pleasure from that. It's part of my antisocial behavior disorder. You know, I don't know who's going first, you or me, but I really want to be at that funeral, like oh, one I, way or the other. I want to I want to be there to hear what gets said. No, I want you to be there to speak. You have to speak. But what if I'm a ghost? Can I speak then? That'll be great. <laughs> I promise you, if haunting is possible. From a heavenly perspective. In other words, if I get visitation rights, Jesus, can I just go bug Pete? Visitation rights. Visitation rights. Jesus, can I just go bug Pete and mess with him? I know Jesus like I know Jesus. And he'll be like, yeah, go mess with him. (laughs) (laughs) My ghost will come to you riding a T-Rex. Jesus would would tell me, okay, but I'm going with you. <laughs> get the t-rexes saddled up peyton let's go visit pete oh i love it man weren't we supposed to talk about planning in a starbucks how do we get over here yes yes well we have to now uh brooks has to splice the episode on and now it's the time for what we talked about back when we talked about it when it was the thing to talk about many years ago and then that comes on and then we comment on it afterwards but he cuts but a smack the, talk who out. does the little voice thingy is Brooks doing that? Great Scott. It's time for this week's topic. <laughs> What's funny is people who've never listened to our podcast before have no idea why you and I are laughing so much. Oh my gosh. There there was what was the um I came up with the best sound bite. And I, I should have texted because I'm like, dude, we need sound effects so bad. Like I had the most hilarious sound bite to throw in. Those of you guys that don't know, we used to have sound bites all the time, and then we broke our sound bite machine, and then we never made them again. 
And what Pete and I did is rather than getting off our butts and like getting a new one, we just started ad libbing them ourselves. And that became entertaining. <laughs> Let's get down to the nitty gritty. So that was our transition, right? That's Great right. Scott. Yeah, it, I think we paid Fiverr or something to to do that for us back in the day. But um, back when there was Blue Ocean and podcasts, and that was pretty fancy. But um, oh man, did I come up with the best soundbite the other day? But anyways, um, yeah, we'll see you on the other side of the episode. Great Scott, it's time for this week's topic. So here's the deal, right? <laughs> like. I start off in a in a in a mega church, and uh, the the deal is is that I'm not really um, anti mega church. I think that people that have read Church Zero might get that impression, but I loved being in the mega church, and I loved seeing it from the inside out. I love seeing its flaws. I love seeing its weaknesses, but I ended up getting kind of sucked in. I think I mentioned that uh, I basically got sucked in because uh, my youth pastor. Uh, his wife was sick, and he was my mentor, and so that was a real hard time, and I, I I was just keeping the seat warm. And one thing led to another, ended up uh, becoming the assistant pastor without boring you with all the details. Um, eventually, the pastor I served under, another another gentleman, had a, a moral failure. And so then I became an interim pastor, and I was, you know, 20, 20 uh when I stepped into the pulpit in 23, when I became the, I, actually I was 22 when I became the interim pastor and I had just, uh, proposed to my wife. Um, I was getting ready to get married and new guy came in. He was a missionary. What I love about him, his name was Bill. He's still my sinning pastor to this day. He came in and he had a missional mindset back before it was cool to have a missional mindset. He basically had gotten off the mission field, was teaching at a school of missions, and uh, it was a divine appointment that he was meant to be there. His mother passed away. He was in town for a funeral. His sister went to our church. He wasn't even a candidate. But he came in, preached for us, and everybody just knew this is God's guy. And I'll never forget the first thing that he ever said to us was he said, look, I'm not a pastor. Um, I, I, I'm a missionary, and I am a missionary first, and I will always be a missionary first. And my aim is to make all of you missionaries. And, you know, since then, like countless books have been written about it. He just has always had a missionary heart. And so he began to... Uh, to really challenge and change me because I was such a bookworm, like I mentioned, that uh, he'd come in and I'd be reading these incredible books and, you know, kind of hitting the Puritans. And he'd come in and say, what are you going to do today? And I'd say, I'm going to read. And he'd say, well, aren't you going to, like, go conquer the world for Jesus? And I'd, I'd be like, well, you know, maybe. We'll see. Probably probably change the world from behind my desk. And uh, and and that was kind of the the start for me. Um, I was his first missionary uh, sent out, and the Lord was just kind of even then niggling in the back of my mind, like, you need to get out from behind the desk, you need to actually start doing stuff. And then when I headed overseas, I went to Wales, and I ended up at Dr. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones's church there, and uh, they asked me to be the evangelist, and I didn't even know what an evangelist did. And uh, so what happened was... Um, they they kind of showed me the ropes and said, you go door to door, you do all the nasty stuff people want to do, open air preaching, um, you run all kind of kinds of events, you talk to people on the streets. So I did that stuff for like a year and not a you single know, well, person. Why don't you just, just briefly explain what is open air preaching for people who don't 
know that that term. Okay, well, open air preaching. Open air preaching would be uh, when you go out into like a town square and you start preaching, like to people walking by. Um, you know, and, and and what's interesting is Charles Spurgeon actually has a chapter on this called "On Extemporaneous Speaking," and of course, he just means street preaching. Um, it, it was kind of a big deal in Britain. You can go to Hyde Park today and see it. It is a dying breed, uh, even in Britain. But I, I actually learned a lot while I was there. I, I made some observations. Number one, uh, most middle class people think you're nuts for doing it, just like they do here in America. Um, but there is a heritage there of it. Unlike America, it's not as big here, but they have quite a heritage. But one thing I did notice was cultists, drug addicts, um, the lower class, um, the down and outs, uh, the homeless, they all listen. About 10% of the population respond extremely well. So you'll hear people today kind of poo-pooing street preaching and say, oh, you know, it doesn't really have a place. That's not true at all. It just doesn't have a place with people with money. Um, with the people that are truly in need, street preaching works like a charm. And I've seen Muslims uh, break down in tears on the street as a result of uh, street preaching, it just can be a powerful medium for different people. But anyways, for me, it didn't work. No no one was converted. So what eventually happened was that um, 9-11 hit, my support dropped in half, and I had to go get a job. And so I ended up working in a factory uh, making TVs for Sony. And I'll never forget sitting on that conveyor line, and I had a really important job of wiping springs on a TV frame to make sure there's no dust in there. It was a very important job. felt very special. Nice. And the, and nice. the, and the, fact, of the fact of the matter is I felt ripped off, man. And I remember thinking I've traveled halfway around the world to be a missionary, and here I am making devil boxes, and uh, what's the deal with this? You know, I don't want to be doing this. And, uh, it, it, you know, lo and behold, Pete, three people got saved in that factory within a few months. They were my first converts. Hmm. You know, so, you know, God started to show me then, hey, real ministry, Peyton, is outside of the church walls. That is real ministry. And when I when I look at we're talking about church planning, right, that again was the start. That was the continuation of the Lord just tapping me saying, hey, I'm over here. You think ministry is over there? It's over here. And if you want to come with me, I'll take you. (laughs) But but up to that point, you know, that's, like, hey, that's a really interesting that's a really interesting uh, concept that just kind of hit me as you were saying it. Real ministry happens outside of the church, outside of the walls, and I think that that concept right there is going to. Um, I mean, it's going to raise a lot of questions and stuff, uh, and, and stuff that we can't really get into on this particular podcast because we've already got a lot to cover, but. You know, I think one of the things that I'm going to want to hit on is uh, how you view some of these big launches that people do for church planning, because, I mean, it almost seems the opposite of what that statement was, which is, you know, the the real service is happening outside of the walls. Yet, when I look at, like, the big launches that go on of, hey, you know, we're going to have 200 people show up our very first weekend, and, you know, we're, we're basically starting off on a, a well-established church, it almost seems the opposite of that, that concept. But I mean, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, no, I'm no, just, you're right. You're right. What, what basically, uh, I, I can remember reading something that, that Neil Cole was a part of, um, church planner in Long Beach. And, uh, he basically, uh, was interviewed and he was asked, you know, what, how would you church plant? Because 
They said, look, you know, the average thing is you take about 50 people, you reach what's called critical math, you get commitments to tithing, you get the mothership to kind of fund your campaign, you run, you know, leaflet drops, you know, uh, and successions of, of three increments, and uh, you build up to the big launch, and on that day, you want to have a target goal of this many people, and on and on, you got to sustain it for this much money a month with 100000 in the bank. And then they said to Neil Cole, what, what's your method? And he said, well, basically, uh, I'd probably go two by two into that city. We'd probably take a bus there so we could get to know the people. We'd get off the bus, and uh, we'd walk around and pray for the city, and we'd ask for God to open doors. And uh, we'd just start seeing what happens out of our conversations. And, you know, when you hear that contrast, um, you, you really, it's not hard to tell which one is closer to the book of Acts and how the Apostle mm-hmm. Paul operated. And we've gotten so far away from that. The, the amazing thing to me, and of course, I'm, I'm a little bit of a, an alarm bell ringer. Um, people don't even notice it. The, the saying that the fish is the last one to notice the water. Um, we're in this weird church culture right now that uh, doesn't even stop to examine itself and say, is there a reason with all of our size and money and power that we're having so little impact? Maybe it's because we are now the establishment, and Christianity as the establishment has always been ineffective. Um, but Christianity as a renegade movement, as a countercultural uh, underground thing, has always waxed strong. Interesting. Interesting. You want me to go back to my story because uh, I'm yeah. going to round yeah. it Sorry. up here. Yeah, sorry. Didn't mean to take you away from. Didn't mean to take you away from your story. But yeah, go ahead and go back. <laughs> you, you didn't mean to take me away from myself. Okay, more about me now. Um, <laughs> here's the deal. Uh, basically, you know, so so I started seeing God work outside of the church, and 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 what happened was, um, you know, we, we out of Lloyd Jones's church, we wanted to plant a church, and I was the evangelist, so I was a part of this kind of like little. Uh, commando team that was planning this and then the the senior pastor resigned and i was yet again an interim pastor and i felt at that point they were all kind of chanting you know peyton for president peyton for president and some of the leaders knew how radical i was and they just said you know what he's not the guy for us and they were right because i i warned him i'll break your church um if if you hand it to me i didn't know at that time i had an apostolic ministry but I knew at that time that God was calling me to do some radical stuff. And so this kind of commando unit to go plant in the next village over, um, I didn't feel that I could take that. And so uh, I, I felt it would kind of siphon people out of the church. And I didn't feel right about that. That church needed to be there and it needed to be healthy for what it was doing. But there also needed to be another church plant. And so I got recruited because the guy who stepped in at that time uh, he's now developed a great evangelistic gift. He's a powerful gospel preacher, but at the time he wasn't confident in that. So he, he would ask me, you know, uh, Peyton, will you come and preach the gospel? Uh, and I said, look, I'll come once a month. And so what I started doing was almost like an itinerant style ministry. I took a pastorate out in the West, uh, of Wales, but I began to itinerate for evangelism. I, I, you know, uh, you know, preacher for hire, have sermon, will travel. Should have been written on the back of my card. But people were asking me to, to preach the gospel. So everywhere I went, people get saved, including this church plant. And as I'm reading Acts and reading the epistles, I started realizing, hold on, what I'm doing, in other words, my, my skill set, people are calling on me. 
Uh, and this is a lot like what Paul did by sending Apollos, Timothy, Titus, uh, moving these 32 guys that are listed in the New Testament as interchangeable players, uh, kind of special teams, moving them around. I realize I haven't invented this. I'm getting sucked into something here that is, in fact, the only way we can do this in Wales. And so um, just to fast forward, uh, that went on for a few years. And then at that church I took in the West, I got kicked in the teeth. And I mean, I really got kicked in the teeth. The Holy Spirit was moving powerfully. People were getting saved. And there was a little bit of like what you find in the book of Acts where uh, the Hellenists and the Jews, there was a bit of a, of a, a rumbling and a division. Well, we had English speakers and Welsh speakers. And the Lord started moving through the English-speaking ministry. I did not speak Welsh, although I took lessons. I suck at languages. Uh, but I, I started seeing the Lord really bless uh, the Welsh speakers, they started getting saved in the English speaking meetings and the Welsh people were very jealous for their language. And so it became a little bit of a cultural taboo that, you know, we were kind of crossing the beams, you know, and what I was like, Hey, we're just trying to blow up the stay pup marshmallow, man. Let's not worry about crossing the beams. You know, let's get her done. And, uh, they didn't see it that way. Um, and as, Everything went to a vote where they, they basically, it, it got so strong that half the leadership wanted to get rid of me because they said he's going to break our Welsh ministry and uh, all these Welsh speakers are coming to the faith through uh, the English speaking stuff. I know it sounds absolutely stupid. It is as stupid as the uh, division between the, the, the Greeks and the Jews, but it still exists today. And so what happened was it went to a vote. I won the vote. But the Holy Spirit tapped me and said, that's it, pal. You're, uh, you're done. Sorry, it's a train that runs right by my house. <laughs> I, and, think, uh, I think everybody is going to think that you live in, like, the total ghetto because every podcast is going to have that train. <laughs> yeah, but you know what's cool is, like, when I make a really good point and it goes, you know, then, <laughs> hey, that's what I think. That's, that's how I hear it in my mind. I don't know if our listeners hear it that way. But it's definitely, I, you know, and then, woo. So anyways, uh, so, so what happened was I ended up, um, I, you know, I was cool with that. All right, Lord, I'll go. But here's what it did to me. It made me an impatient man. And I think to a certain degree, church planners need to be impatient. They need to be impatient about reaching the lost. When I left that pastorate, I actually, after a while, God didn't tell me what to do next. And I started getting cheesed off and I started getting angry. I got angry at God, I got angry at Christians, I got angry at church, and I told God, I quit. And if I ever end up in ministry, I swear I will never fight through Christians to try to reach a loss ever again. I'm done with that. And uh, hmm. what ended up happening was, you know, I I went to Starbucks, um, you know, I, I, I was heading back to America, I had quit. And God had uh, not allowed me to turn ministry on and off like a light switch. I, I've been looking for that light switch for a number of years now, trying to figure out when you can switch ministry on and off. It's not there. If you're called to ministry, you're going to be a minister wherever God's put you. I think a lot of church planners need to know that. So I ended up in uh, Starbucks. Again, not quote-unquote real ministry, but that is where the most real ministry I've ever done began. So, well, expand on that idea. What do you mean that that's where it began well, in, in the Starbucks? Well, again, you know, God is working outside of the church. And when you look at the Apostle Paul, right, when he goes to Asia Minor, 
Um, and he's he's tooling all around Cyprus and Turkey and all these places he's going to, Macedonia, um, Asia. He is not going into a, a community that's church. And in fact, he's he and his team are the only Christians, uh, you know, 9.99% of the time. Uh, they, they, they're the only ones there. And so what happened was the Apostle Paul had to start church with non-believers. And that's what happened because I had quit ministry and I had told the Lord, look, I don't want any part. You need to do it. If if you want ministry to happen from now on, I'm, I, I quit. I'm not doing it anymore. You do it. I'll show up if you want to do something. Now, now you when you say... When you say you quit ministry, what exactly does that mean to you? Did you quit going to church, or was it like, well, I'm just going to quit being a pastor, evangelist, you know, whatever? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I kept going to church. I, I'm the guy that, you know, I wasn't raised in the church, but I love going to church. And I would I would love uh, going to church no matter what. I just, I love being there. and But I don't always like doing it, strangely enough. So, um here was a deal. I I still went to church, but that's because I got a lot of invitations to go preach. And so I show up at churches, and because I was in a dark place, I was cheesed off of God, cheesed off of Christians, I'd show up, and I would say things uh, like, you know, I'd stand up in the pulpit and say, you know, I really don't want to be here this morning. And uh, they'd all laugh, like, ha that's a funny thing, funny joke, Pastor. And then I'd say, no, I'm serious, but you know what, you're paying me, and... Uh, I got a sermon here, so you know, let's just see what happens, and because uh, I need the money, and I was so raw and so brash, and strangely, because I wasn't up there faking or trying to be something, the Holy Spirit would just come, and even though my heart wasn't in a good place, um, the Holy Spirit just used me, and I learned so much at that time. I think sometimes we get into this trap that God can only use us if we're one hundred percent spot on. And that's just a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. I mean, the the reality is God just wants to use us. You know, that's also a really interesting comment right there because I think a lot of people are also under the impression that you have to be uh, a phenomenal communicator from the pulpit to have an impact for Christ. And basically, and I think part of that, in my mind, it stems from our belief that... our, our belief, our, it stems from our pride, right? That somehow yeah. God needs me, that if if I don't show up and put on my A game, God can't do anything. And the reality is we're along for the ride because God doesn't need us, period. So you, you know what? we're it's just so funny. simply along for the ride. So funny you say that because there, there's a guy, I can't, I can't say who it is, but years ago God taught me a lesson because I'm, I'm – in, in my day, I was quite a pulpiteer, and uh, preaching was very, very important to me. I had to sacrifice um, the sermon uh, for effectiveness. And, and what I mean by that is I used to be very polished as a preacher, illustrate everything perfectly. I'd be meticulous in my preparation. I would spend hours and hours and hours preparing. I still prepare. But when you're church planning, um, it's not like preaching to a Christian congregation. They don't understand 90% of what we refer to. So if I'm referring to Ark of the Covenant, I have to, in Wales at least, I learned I had to say, you know, that that scary box in Raiders of the Lost Ark. They didn't remember 
what the Ark of the Covenant, especially when they hear it in the context of it, and then they go, "Oh yeah, Ark of the Covenant." Okay, I remember hmm. now. But but hmm. you know, you start learning that you know it takes a lot longer to communicate this truth to people, and you have to sacrifice your uh your pets man we all got pets we all got things we want you know uh maybe you want alliterated points you know they they just don't get that and uh so yeah i mean basically i had to um i just had to to show up but but i think the key thing was being real um i was just real i was raw i wasn't in a good place and i started learning that i think that was preparation for church planning because as the more real i got the more non-believers listen to me, the more that they actually receive from me. I think that we forget that a lot of people are suspicious of us as preachers. You know, they, they've watched a lot of the TV and a lot of the propaganda and they've seen the TV preachers that are out for people's money and they're always big and sweaty and wear white suits and have big hair and get all the chicks. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that people are, are suspicious. And I've learned to be real. I've learned to use humor. Um, humor is, is something that brings people together and right away lets them know you don't take yourself too seriously. And um, all those things are helpful. But especially being real and vulnerable and you know, being like the apostles in Scripture. It, the Scripture tells us very plainly these guys didn't have it all together. And then you feel like you can receive, oh, I can receive from this Peter guy. I like this Peter guy. I can relate to this Peter guy. He screwed up pretty big. What a knucklehead. And then you, you, you hear them testifying of Jesus, and there's this human element to it that, uh, you know, I, I think God's a genius. He's, you're a marketer, Pete. You know, this is a good product endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because one of the things that you're saying is one of the things that I've noticed in my own business. Uh, for instance, I run a, a monthly marketing uh, meetup group, and... One of the things that has really changed in that group is when we went from, I I run it with another guy, when we went from the lecture format, which would be a typical uh, church service, I would consider that lecture format. Pastor gets up there, starts preaching, we all sit back, enjoy the show, uh, give a little tip at offering time and walk out. When we went from that to much more of of a classroom style meeting, where one of the first things I say when I get up in front of people is, look, I prefer the interaction. So let's handle this as a conversation. You guys have questions. I know my material. As you have questions, let's just address them. Let's just dig into yeah. them. I mean, I've got a, I've got an outline, basically. I've got a format. I know what I want to cover. And the difference is we are a very core group of people that are very tightly knit and yeah. – they love to come back and we're yeah. not as big. And I certainly don't make, you know, I actually, I don't think I've made any money off the group because I don't pitch any product at it, you know, but, um, but to me, it's kind of like if you take that same mentality and that's what you're saying and you apply it to the church format of, you know, let's, uh, we know where we're going to go with this, but let's go ahead and have room for questions. Let's go ahead and have room for interaction because well, that, the unchurched, yeah are full of questions, man. They're full of it. Uh, they are full of it. You know, it, it's funny because uh, when when, uh, when I ended up uh, going to Starbucks, and I remember I'm, I've, I've quit, and uh, but you can't turn the light switch on and off. So I say to God, and this is, this is where this interaction thing came in for me, 
because Dan Brown Da Vinci Code was like the huge bestseller in 2005. And people were saying things like, hey, have you read this book? Because they come through the bar and I was a talkative American. I'd be chatting and they'd find out I was a preacher and they'd say, what do you think of this book? Because it was in this Starbucks was in Borders Books. And so there were books everywhere. It was like a, a massive Starbucks and a massive uh, Borders books. May they rest in peace. And what happened was I, you know, so I'm saying to the Lord, so many people are asking me about this book that I've got this working relationship with. Lord, what do you uh, want to uh, do? And and I and, and I, you know, I had already thrown the gauntlet down. So I was like, remember, God, you got to do this. If you want me to do something, I remember praying that morning. Most of my prayers at that time had four letter words in them. Uh, I, I'm just being real with you. Um, that I was in a dark place, but I said, Lord, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to do it. That night, I'm chucking out muffins into the trash with my manager, and he says, "Hey, Jonesy, you know how you're like a preacher?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, uh, "You know how <laughs> you're like a you... preacher?" <laughs> I'm sorry, he I said, like that know... line. Yeah, he he said, "Would you ever want to like throw a religious group here, a church thing?" And I said, "Well." Maybe. What, what do you got in mind? He said, well, the district manager's been breathing down my neck. It is a Starbucks after all, and we do need to have uh, social events um, in the community, community events. And he goes, and we really suck at that. I've never had a community event here. He said, uh, would you like to throw something? So I said, yeah, I will. All right. And I'm just looking up like, all right, God, thanks for opening that door. I said, look, here's the deal. I'm going to be like talking about Jesus, though. Is that cool? And he goes, yeah, man, whatever you want to do, just get the DM off my back. So we roped off half of the Starbucks. Now, we're back in America. I've still never seen a Starbucks as big as this one. No exaggeration. It took up a third of the space of a huge Borders books. I mean, it was like a warehouse. And uh, we roped off half. Here's what happened. That night, 30 nonbelievers turned up. And we had a reading group at the end of that night. They're like, are we going to do it again? I said, no. And they said, why not? And I said, because it'd be lame. It'd be stupid. We'd just go through the same book again. And they go, no, that's what we want to do. We have more questions. In fact, they said, this was awesome. We were drinking coffee, talking about Jesus, and nobody was yelling at us. Well, you know, that's all I had to now, hear. Said, now, did you uh, – let's, let's deconstruct this a little bit. Okay, so how did you start it off? I mean, was it just like, <laughs> hey, okay, we're going to start talking about, you know, the Da Vinci Code? Or, I mean, deconstruct this for us. Yeah, sure. Um, it was really simple. I mean, I put a, you know, I was a little bit cheeky on it because I got an employee discount. So I bought a bunch of cake and I got them to agree to free coffee. So I advertised a free coffee and free cake, but I paid the cake out of my pocket. Um, the Welsh are hobbits, just so you should know. They, they, they sit in their hobbit holes and drink tea and coffee and eat cake all the time because Tolkien had them in mind when he was writing the hobbits. This is no joke. But the, the, the fact is, it's a rainy country. It rains all the time. So they love to sit and talk about things they've read. So this was a cultural in. So, um, what I did was we showed up. So I had this sign up there, 30 non-believers turned up. And what happened is we sat around that night and I first, I just asked them questions and they talked a bit. 
And then I'd ask them another question, and they'd talk, and I'd ask them about the book, and what do you think about this, and do you think Dan Brown, you know, is is uh, onto something here, or do you smell a rat, you know, and I'd get people talking, and then I would say, well, look, I'm going to speak for 10 minutes, and I'm going to give my opinion. I am a preacher, and I had also recruited from a seminary an Old Testament scholar, even though he was Old Testament scholar, um, he, he was fairly knowledgeable on New Testament uh, academics. So uh, he was kind of like our secret weapon. He stayed quiet the whole time. And about maybe 40 minutes in, it lasted an hour and 15 minutes, he spoke up and said, well, you know, I'm a scholar. And um, boom, boom, boom. And this is what I think. And so it's always good to have a guy like that. In Refuge Long Beach right now, we've got a guy named Don Stoner. You know, Pete. And uh, he's our yep. big guns. Um, he helped invented something, invent something called the compact disc. You might have heard of it. He's a mad scientist and, uh, you know, pretty, uh, pretty knowledgeable guy on just about everything. So, you know, it's good to have big guns. Didn't he write a book on uh, Einstein, Einstein's theory of relativity or something like that? Yeah, he's, he's written a handful of books. And, uh, you know, so go, going, you know, going back to the Starbucks thing, what happened was uh, by the end of the second night, they said, now what are we going to do? And I said, well, nothing. And I, I'm, I'm running through my head like Life of Pi. Uh, you know, that was a, a, a new book out at that time. Um, not the film it is today, but um, it was a new book and I'd read it and I thought, well, you know, it deals with universalism and um, that's what most people believe. So, uh, and, and I just have to say this real quickly. Um, when Dan Brown wrote a book, I did a double backflip for joy. I was so happy. Um, Christians here were mad. They were protesting. They were throwing rocks at Dan Brown. Um, same with Life of Pi. A book about universalism comes out. As a missionary in the UK, I did double backflips over that. Not because I believe Dan Brown, not because I believe in universalism. I don't. But because of the fact that it becomes a platform when you're a missionary to talk to people about Jesus. If they're reading those books, hey, I'm going to read that book, and I'm going to talk to them about it. So one man's castaway becomes a missionary's treasure. Make sense? Yep. So anyways, going back to this. So at the end of the second night, they're like, what are we going to do? And I said, you know, I don't know. We could do this. We could do that. And one lady raised her hand and said, excuse me, but maybe... You know, how Dan Brown talked about the Gnostic Gospels. Maybe we could read the Gospels that Jesus' real followers wrote. And then the Holy Spirit was tapping me like, hey, dummy, do you, do you see what I'm doing here? <laughs> do, 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 are you ready to do this? Because I'm here. I'm already working. I'm working in spite of you. I'm working all around you. If you want to come with me, I'll let you. But this is what I do. You showed me what you could do for a number of years. Now let me show you what I do. And Pete, you know from being at Refuge Long Beach, I mean, I just get out of God's way, man. That's it. I don't got to control stuff. I don't got to be the big boss. I get out of his way. He is a supernatural God, and he delights in revealing his arm, in glorifying his name. And that's what that church became. That church became a... A church where I was along for the ride, man, but I wasn't driving or steering. Now, did you guys always meet in the Starbucks, or when did you move somewhere else? Where did you move? I mean, what did that look like? 
Well, that became the start of my whole philosophy of Sunday mornings are for outreach. We met on a weeknight at that time. And so what happened was I was building a core team. Once that started taking off, that that became a real green light to me that, yes, we need to plan a church. The Lord is moving here. And I think that's a key to starting a church, by the way. Paul always went into a community and evangelized. And if lost people were there, he, uh, he planned a church. He didn't just like target an area and say, boom. There, there are towns that I went to when I toured through Turkey where the book of Acts says Paul went and preached. Nothing happened. He went on to the next town. He wasn't like, look, I got to have this and I got to make this church plant happen. Paul went, saw where the Holy Spirit was at work. And basically, once he saw the wind rushing through a canyon, um, he uh, erected a wind turbine called a church. <laughs> And uh, hmm. but he didn't just go out and you know erect wind turbines and expect the wind to show up somewhere. Um, he went into a place, evangelized, and I always tell church planners, whatever books you're reading, whatever guys are telling you, just stop. Go evangelize. Do what Jesus told him to do. Get power from on high and go. <laughs> that's it. And uh, and so that's what happened. But there were places Paul moved on from. But there God was moving. So I formed a core team. And then outside of that, what what actually started to happen was we uh, we started moving to Sundays after a number of months simply because we thought, well, if people are getting saved, it's not right for us not to give them an opportunity to worship. And I would be preaching in Starbucks. I mean, I'd be preaching loudly for 10 to 15 minutes. And then, you know, we would start off with discussion. You always start with them talking. Then you give a 10 to 15 minute monologue. Then you go back to dialogue for the majority of the time. When you want to reach non-believers effectively, this is very effective. And so what happened was... Um, wait, wait, wait. Okay, we, hold on a second. All right. So you said you start off with... Them talking, so their discussion, and then you preach, and then you go back to Q&A? Absolutely. Because if you start off preaching, it's a game changer. You want to hear them talk first. You want to pose questions. You want to throw teasers out. You want to get them all excited and frothing at the mouth about the subject, and then you come in. Boom. And it has to be, you know, Charles Spurgeon wrote in that chapter, Extemporaneous Preaching, um, although this isn't street preaching, Charles Spurgeon said every thought has to be a bullet. In fact, he went on to say, if you uh, let me teach for an hour, I'll take a few hours to prepare. If you give me 30 minutes, I'll need uh, a a week. He said, if you give me uh, five to 10 minutes, I'll need a month. Um, because when you have a shorter amount of time, every statement is crucial. And so I started learning to make every thought a bullet and to ask for so God to bless when, when, when you started out, you know, the, the discussion at the beginning, were you providing questions to people to mm-hmm. start discussing? Or yeah. was it like, yeah. okay, today's book is The Life of Pi, Discuss. Let me let me back up a bit because what what I haven't told our our listeners is that um, in that second church experience I had where I got kicked in the teeth, 
I had already discovered this. I was in a university town, and I'd already kind of gotten the idea. This was the oldest university outside of Oxford and Cambridge, um, University of Wales Lampeter, uh, St. David's College. So uh, when, I, when I was outside of there, we were doing work amongst the students, and we thought we need to do something in a neutral venue. So we went to a, a, what you would call like an athletic center. And we met in a room there. We served food. Students always come to food. So, again, it's thinking like a missionary. Um, but, but then we were like, we need to bring them into a place where they'll want to talk about God. So I have a funny sense of humor. So my, my kind of under the leading of the Spirit, um, but also using my own gifts and personality traits, which God always does if you let him, uh, I basically uh, came up with... Um, does God have a sense of humor? That was our topic question. So I'll, I'll kind of walk you through how that looked. And this will kind of tell you how Starbucks looked. But this is a really clear example of this. Basically, it was, does God have a sense of humor? So when they turned up that night, I asked them, do you think God has a sense of humor? And I, I posed the question, but I let them talk about it for about 15 minutes. And people, what was coming out during that time was people's misconceptions. Um, no, you know, that's why you see, always see that religious people are so serious, you know, sucking green persimmons, on and on. And then you had other people going, oh, I think he probably does have a sense of humor. I mean, look at me, right? And, you know, you, you were just finding different cross-sections of, of people's beliefs. And when you throw events like this, you're always going to be dealing with a kaleidoscope of thought and belief. You will not ever have a consensus when you open it up like that. So what, what happened then is I stepped in and said, right, now I'm going to talk 10 to 15 minutes. And I walked him through uh, I, all the reasons I thought that God had a sense of humor. And I would, it was very ordered. I said, first off, from what we know, right, from creation. Number one, farts. If God made us, we all know that farts are funny, and they were meant to be funny. Every culture on the world laughs when someone next to them farts. I was in a movie theater the other night watching Superman, and right at the, the it was amazing timing, right at the point where the supervillain uh, is trying to attune his powers so that he doesn't hear everything, and everything gets serene and quiet in his head, the guy next to me ripped the hugest fart. And that, that was just comedy beyond comedy to the entire theater. <laughs> Everybody in the theater, while it was dead quiet, the guy ripped this huge fart right behind me. And so, you know, people were laughing in the room. What was great about this event is it's the first Christian event these people have ever come to, and everybody's laughing. And we're talking about the funniest stuff that happens in creation, the stuff that happens in nature, some of the animals God made, you know, some of the funny things that happen, you know, in science or scientific discovery. And then I said, well, you know, check this out, the Bible. And so I start talking about like, hey, you think Shrek is funny? Hey, God had one up on Shrek. Thousands of years ago, the Bible talks about a talking donkey. And the story's meant to be funny. Balaam's donkey is a funny story. You're meant to laugh at it. Um, and so I just started going through the Bible. All the things that Jesus said that were funny, where he calls uh, John and uh, James sons of thunder. You know, when they say, Lord, call fire down on these people. I mean, there are an amazing amount of humorous things, if you know what to look for in the scripture. And so at the end of that, um, my, my closing point for that was, well, there's a lot of things about God. If we're wrong about God having a sense of humor, what else could we be wrong on? And so then we opened that up to discussion. 
and people started just throwing things out. Some of the Christians threw things out. Um, that, you know, uh, God is punishing us or, you know, blah, blah. What else about God may not be true? And, and it was amazing to hear all these things. What are some of your thoughts about God? Why do you believe that? And then I closed it off by saying, well, come back next week and we're going to talk, uh, about, um, what God says he's like. God gave us a very clear picture to know exactly so we're not guessing. And, of course, you know where I'm going to go. The second night, I led him up to Jesus, where Jesus says, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so I, during my talk, you know, I tease it out. I just repeat the process. By the third week, it was who is Jesus was the topic. And so in three short weeks, I brought people from completely unchurched, uninterested, non-concerned, to suddenly not being able to wait to the third week to hear about Jesus. By the way, those are the kind of meetings that got me in trouble. <laughs> wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. What do you mean they got you in trouble? What do you mean by that? Well, that was at my second church. That's when the Spirit really started moving. And so by the time I went, so so the establishment that the church did not like, that, that things were getting a bit out of control. People were getting saved. Uh, Welsh-speaking people were coming to this English meeting because this was a cool meeting. And uh, it was growing, um, new people coming in all the time. And what happened at the end of this was that uh, when I went to Starbucks, I already knew um, what the potential of something like this was. I just didn't know that 30 non-believers were going to turn up. But I already seen the power of what I term synagogue-style evangelism. When it says that Paul went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, there was discussion. And I've, I've since come to believe that dialogue and discussion is one of the most powerful evangelistic tools you can possibly use. Hmm. Sure. Sure. I agree. In fact, um, as you know, I'm on the board of directors for apologetics.com. And these guys, they do a radio show, uh, which is also a podcast. And um, really how they got started with their whole ministry. Well, one, it got started because uh, the the CEO of apologetics.com, he was uh, getting his degree, I believe, in apologetics, his, his master's degree at Biola. I don't think it was an undergraduate. I think it was his graduate degree. And so he just happened to um, get uh, uh, the domain apologetics.com. And his professor's like, well, I should give you an A just for getting that degree or that, that domain, I should say. And, and you know, that, that was such a cool thing. <laughs> but what they did when they first started it, this is back in the days when forums were still kind of new on the Internet. This is, you know, 13 years ago. And they created just a, a bulletin board system where people could ask questions and the dialogue could start. And <laughs> and that was really what they did. They just happened to do it on the Internet. And it was they basically just had one rule. You, you have to treat people with respect. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. no flaming or anything like that. And it just opened that communication up and people were able to dialogue back and forth. That's awesome. And, you know, it's funny because you asked me the question earlier. You said, you know, what about, you know, did did you keep that format? Did you stay in the Starbucks? We did for a number of months until we felt that, hey, these people aren't able to worship this God that they're coming to know. So we're going to have to go out of the Starbucks and actually get in a building where we can worship God. And so what happened was um, we made the decision that this is working so well, we're not going to sit in rows. Um, 
I, I read an article this week that, that the title was brilliant. It was Life Change Doesn't Happen in Rows, It Happens in Circles. And so we sat around horseshoes, or excuse me, we sat in horseshoes. We arranged the chairs rather than in rows in, in half circles and stuck coffee tables uh, in in the middle of that, that, that horseshoe uh, with the deliberate intent of reproducing the atmosphere that we had in Starbucks. I mean, everybody knows that Starbucks creates that environment called the third place. And there's since been uh, books written about this, The Gospel According to Starbucks by Leonard Sweet. But I got to be honest with you, before all that before all that was being talked about, I was living it as a Starbucks partner, as a barista. I was seeing it happen. Um, and, and they had taught me this philosophy that people will pay $4, not for a cup of coffee, but for an experience. And I was like, you know what? That's what church ought to be. Church ought to have that, that third place philosophy. The first place is where you live. The second place is where you work, right? The third place is where you want to be when you're not sleeping at home and you're not uh, working to earn your crust. Third place is a place where you you feel relaxed, comfortable. You're you're in an environment that that you feel is quality. And I thought, why can't church be like that? Why can't people leave church feeling like, man, that was just an awesome experience, you know? And and that happens when people connect with each other. That that sense of hmm. community. Um, there's a lot of talking culture right now about community. Uh, people talk about. Um, the internet community, but it's all a fake community. It's not genuine community. The church used to be an interactive sport. The church used to interact in community, but it's since abandoned probably its greatest evangelistic tool, which was to sit around like this and reason together and interact with with each other. Whoever you know devised the the the, the notion that church ought to happen in rows as an audience, obviously did not know their New Testament. Hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting some of the things that you're saying, because I think on my own uh, church-going experience, as someone who did grow up going to church, did grow up in the church, father was a pastor, um, I, I myself love public speaking, but I hate meeting people, right? I, I hate... Uh, being thrust into a situation where I don't know anyone and I've got to actually, you know, introduce myself and do the whole little small talk and, and stuff like that. I mean, it's just not one of the things that I enjoy at all. And I can tell you that probably not since I was a kid until our current uh, church, Refuge Long Beach, uh, which is a church plant. I mean, essentially, it's I mean, it's still. Yeah. You know, thirty to seventy people on a, a Sunday. You never know who's showing up, or you know <laughs> what that number is going to be. Um, who's, who's in jail? <laughs> right? Who's, who's, who's in jail, jail or yeah. who's parole officer? Oh, he's in jail that he can't make back. <laughs> Right. Um, but I mean, I, I never, I never had a sense of community in any church, and even uh, you know, our our big, as you call them, your sending church. Um, even when I attended that one, I I didn't like it. I mean, I didn't know anyone there. And here it is a church of, you know, a couple thousand people on a weekend. And I'm like, dude, I don't know anyone in this whole place. And I've got nothing in common with any of them. Like, that's the yeah. thought that always goes through my head. So whenever there was an excuse to not go to church, I jumped at it. Like, <laughs> if Jamie's like, oh, I've got a, my, my wife's a ice skating uh, coach, right? So, 
every once in a while she's got to uh, do a competition and she's got skaters and so she's not able to to go on Sunday or she might be you know out of the state at a competition something like that and I'm like oh sweet man I'm not going to church that's <laughs> that's just awesome because to me like going without her would be even worse now I'm totally yeah. alone and I know no one and the funny thing to me is there's never like one of the things that just resonates so well with me in your uh, message in your book, Church Zero, is you talk about the youth have left our church. And I, I realize I'm not as young as I used to be, right? But I still see myself <laughs> as young. And it's, good it's you like do. there's no one my age. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but there's but there really is no one my age. There's, there's no yeah. one who fits my demographic. First of all, I'm self-employed, which already means I'm an oddball. You know, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm always starting up new businesses. I currently have three of them going on. And it's like <laughs> there's there's no one I can talk to. And I contrast yeah. that to, uh, you know, like Refuge Long Beach, where now I can't wait to go on Sunday. I can't wait to see the people, to connect with them. And it's not like I have any more in common with them than I did with anybody else. I mean, sure. I probably have less in common at Refuge Long Beach. But yeah. But it's just a different environment all the way around. Yeah, and and this is this is the idea that you know I, I I just teased it a little bit that that Sunday became about mission for me because so often what church is is it's it's like the pastor doing his thing or it's trying to keep the church people happy, and I learned a long time ago that if you kind of set expectations at the beginning, look everyone, we don't care if you're happy. What we care of is you're healthy. And the only way you're going to be healthy is to get on mission, uh, reaching people. That's what we're here for. And so because my church started as a, um, you know, I have a two-pronged approach. In homes, we do what we call real church, which is, you know, uh, breaking of bread. We take communion, prayer, uh, all this stuff you actually never do on a Sunday. <laughs> this is stuff that we do uh, in in the midweek, and that's where we say, "Okay, this is our time." Every once in a while, God goes, "Ha ha! I'm gonna I'm gonna fool you and show up," uh, and and non believers are gonna get saved there too. And uh, you know that's always allowed, I guess. But uh, <laughs> but but Sunday mornings are always meant to be outreach for us. I just. I you you know Pete I hit on that all the time for people you know and they're like do we have this program and you know the childcare and we're like it ain't for you it ain't about that we see those people over there uh, those are the people that we're here to reach and you are missionaries you're coming with us uh, you're here to reach them once you get people to make that mental mind shift um, it's like breakfast so let's just talk about the uh, the conversation that you know we we kept that conversational aspect in church. Um, when we went into the school, we do, confessedly, we sit in rows right now. We won't be there forever, um, but we've tried an experiment because what we did with this was uh, the only way I went in there was I found out that this school is the poorest in the district, that these kids were only eating once a day, and that was during school lunches. So the school started serving breakfast in the morning because 60% of that neighborhood, their parents lived below poverty level. So as you know, Pete, we went in and we started fixing a hot breakfast, this and that. And, um, and I've tried this as an experiment. What if we do sit in rows? Because we can't help it. They're wooden theater seats um, in the auditorium. Right. But what if we gave people almost like a free form where they eat breakfast with complete strangers beforehand? 
And getting people to make that shift now where it's not organized during the service, but it's actually loose and free form, not just about get my breakfast, I'm on my mom, but it is I get my breakfast and sure, I'm going to feed myself, but I'm on mission. Really, the most evangelistic thing I can do right now is sit across the breakfast table with my pancakes and eggs and look into someone's eyes and say, tell me your story. It's, it's like hmm. Jesus sitting with the woman on the side of the well. And that's now, I feel, even harder for people uh, than when I used to send them out evangelizing in Bixby Park. That was hard. That was the icebreaker for people. That's another story for another day. But that was kind of, in fact, I think it's in Church Zero. I can't even remember what I wrote. But, uh, but getting people to realize we're on mission here, that, that is a game changer. Hey, right. I have a train. Right. You have dogs. That's awesome. <laughs> I know. I think the mailman just showed up, and that's why they're just going <laughs> off, which I bet you anything. My wife left the window uh, open, which means I'm going to have to deal again with the post office. We're not delivering mail to your house ever again. <laughs> and these crazy dogs will not shut up. <laughs> no. You know what? Um, it's funny because a lot of the stuff that we're talking about actually – is in church zero and a lot of it a lot of it isn't because i'm still learning as i go i mean i'm i'm not uh, by any means an expert you know again just to reiterate in closing um a lot of church planners probably think that some guys out there are experts and the fact of the matter is you cannot have a church planning expert. You know, when we, Pete, you and I for Church Planning Magazine, we interviewed Don Overstreet, who's known as Don the Baptist, 500 church plans he's been a part of. I think we mentioned him last week, but I was blown away by him. But, you know, he, he basically said the same thing. Every time you go back to ground zero, every church plant is its own animal. You need the Holy Spirit to turn up. You have no clue what's going to happen. You have biblical principles, but at the end of the day, it's everybody goes back to zero every single time. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Well, hey, look, on the uh, the next podcast, we'll we'll actually dive into uh kind of the the core to to church planning. I think this was good just because it gives people another a take, another viewpoint on uh on church planning and and probably, you know, one that's not nearly as sexy as uh, the big launches that you hear so much about. And um, and yeah, but but this is what what really connects with people. And isn't that what you know, it's all about? Yeah. You know what? There's nothing sexier than the book of Acts. I mean, really, it's funny how you say it because they're big and bad and they're flashy. But at the end of the day, I think if you give people a choice between what happened in Acts and what what happens in a what what I call guerrilla planning, where you're low to the ground, you don't have a lot of resources, you got to move quick, you need the Holy Spirit. Guerrilla planning is probably sexier at the end of the day, but people just don't know that yet because it's not right. safe, it's not secure, and it's definitely not popular and it's not talked about. But it's probably more yeah. effective in the long run. <laughs> Well, I, and that's the thing. It's not popular, but I mean, really what it comes down to is what is it, wh why are you really wanting to plan a church? Like, what is it that's yeah. driving you to do it? Is it, well, I want to get into ministry and of course I've got to have a good, safe, secure job. 
and you know we've we've managed to turn uh, being a pastor into a career of you know you can make a decent living depending on the area you're in. And so, oh, well, this guy over here, he's got a great book on how to do a mega launch. And, you know, I'm basically just going to siphon off Christians from everywhere else and start up another church, which is not to say that God cannot work through that. Because, again, God doesn't need us. But really, do we want to be on the front lines? Do we want to see the really cool stuff? When, when God shows up. And, you know, for me, yeah. that's that's half of the attraction. You never know what's going to happen at Refuge Long Beach. You just never know. Yeah, and yeah absolutely. I never you know. know. It makes me curious. I want to see. <laughs> I want to show up. I just want to see what's going to happen next. People just turn up out of morbid curiosity. <laughs> you know, Which, and, whatever and, it takes, right? Amen, you know, whatever baby. it takes. Amen. But, you know, it, it, it's so funny because... Um, at, at the end of the day, when you look, when guys are talking about church planning, here we are in the inner city. Um, I, I have to be careful I don't get on a soapbox here, but uh, the reality is nobody, everybody wants to go into middle-class areas in church plant. Nobody's going into the urban. I can't say nobody, but the, the vast majority of notices I get, newsletters I see, um, websites that have been built um, promoting a, a, an upcoming church plant, none of them are in the inner city. They're all in middle-class areas, suburbs, areas where you want to live. Well, here's where you'll know the game is changing is that churches start getting planted in places people don't want to go, places that people don't want to live in. The first missionary book of the Bible, actually the first book chronologically written in of, of the prophets in the Old Testament was Jonah. And I think God set a precedent there that, look, I'm going to send you places you don't want to go. That's what Jesus told Peter. One day someone will lead you somewhere you don't want to go. And I think that... What's happening right now is we're going to places that are club med, you know, they're middle class uh, paradises, and that's not where the need is. When the gospel starts going where the need is, um, which is the inner city, then we'll know that guerrilla planning has really taken off. And we're back. And we're back. So uh, twice back, because number one, we're back in your headphones to torment you like two car talk guys, but for church planners. That's how we were once described. Do you remember that? It's like car talk. Yeah, but I never listened to car talk, so I have no idea oh, what they're talking car about. Car talk was the bomb. Or this I is not smack anymore. To... This is not smack. Oh, yeah. You got to right. stick to the top. All right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, so you've now heard me talking about planting in a Starbucks back when that was kind of like a cool thing. And, but, you know, part of this podcast is commenting, going back on all the stuff we said <clears throat> pre-COVID, and putting a perspective on it post-COVID. So, Pete, when you hear about that now, knowing what we've all been through in 2021, 2020, 2020, I guess it was our first year, um, you know, uh, what do you what do you think? It's kind of like coming back from uh, a time warp. What do, you, what do you think now that you hear that? So, I, you know, it, it's taken on a new meaning for me because of uh, moving to Texas. And the area that I moved to, the, the entire world literally seems to be moving to North Texas. Um, it's kind of like New York where I walk down the street and I'll hear a language and I have no idea what language that is. Like in California, you always knew like it's Spanish, English. Um, if you're over in certain areas, you might be like, Oh, it's gotta be Cambodian. 
but you know, maybe a little bit of, of man, uh, Mandarin, but I mean, here it's like, man, I have no idea what language that is. There's so many different ethnicities that are moving here. And so the whole planet and Starbucks, the reason why it takes on a, a kind of a, a different meaning to me at this point is when we go to church here, it is predominantly white with specklings of uh, African-American, um, specklings of, uh, of Latino, not a lot, but you look at my street, there's maybe two other white families that I can think of that live on my street. Uh, uh, more of them, I would say, are from India, probably my street specifically from India. Uh, then I know we've got someone from Taiwan and some from uh, China. And it's like, okay, but they're not in my church. And, you know, think about it from a cultural standpoint. Uh, people moving from India here is really big. And it's like, okay, from a cultural standpoint, how weird is it for them to like go to these big buildings where people are doing church? They, they It's not part of their culture. They've probably never gone to a church like that before. Like it would be really uncomfortable. But, you know, one of the things that, that my wife did that was brilliant is um, she made some cookies at Christmas time and had the kids give them to every home on our street with a little, you know, Hey, you know, from the, from the Mitchells, your neighbors at the three nine Oh nine. And, uh, and so that really started opening up our neighbors to us. And uh, we found out that one of our neighbors is actually um, a guy. This is kind of ironic. He lives on my street. Um, Luke had a, a summer camp or not a summer a school camp. And I volunteered to be one of the counselors. And this guy volunteered to be one of the counselors because uh, our sons were both in it. And he and I were co-counselors in our cabin together. And the dude lives on my street. I didn't even know he lived on my street, right? And like, so we find out that he lives on our street. And we're like, I do, come on over for dinner. And like, it is easy for someone from another culture to come over for dinner. Like, that's totally cool. And so I could see why, you know, doing church in non-church locations is going to help you reach the loss. Like my church right now is, is doing a, a second campus and like Sunday, they're all proud. Right. And they showed all the marketing. Of course I'm a marketing guy. Right. And I'm cringing as I'm looking at this stuff, I'm literally just cringing and biting my tongue going, okay, you are literally reaching out to other Christians. You are trying to take, I mean, you, this is not what you're thinking, but this is what your marketing is going to do. It's going to try and it's going to reach out to other Christians and get them to leave their church and come to your church. It is not going to reach the lost. And so the idea of planning a Starbucks to me is so good because that's a neutral territory. Um, I think I mentioned on our last podcast, that I've met with this one guy. There's a, a group called Holy Smokes, a bunch of Christians who like to smoke cigars. And sometimes they drink, you know, brandy or whatever. I don't know. I don't drink anymore, as you know, so I, I don't indulge in that. And so I was meeting up with one of the guys and we met over at this uh, this cigar bar near here. And um, I was like, yeah, this would be a place that you could totally have a church. Like, because all the people here who like to smoke cigars, like if you had a cigar church, like you could totally reach people who yeah. no one else is reaching. And he was like, oh man, if these guys had a church here, I would be here every week. I would be here. I remember going into a, into a pub. Uh, it was like a little brewery, microbrewery. And uh, we asked the guy, you know, like, cause I was sitting there, it was with Kirkhoff. We were sitting at the, at the little bar and 
he goes, I just don't know how we're going to reach my son's generation. And the, the guys beyond the bar were young. And I said, well, well, listen to this. So I just asked the guy at the bar, I go, hey, me and my buddy are talking about church. And he goes, okay. And I go, well, look, we're just saying like most people, you know, your age, they don't really like to go, right? Like it's not. And he goes, well, yeah, man, like, you know, what does that have to do with me? And I go, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, like that's fair. But we we kind of look at it like we do go to church, but we're 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 kind of trying to figure it out. Like, what are the main reasons people don't go? Because if you have a soul, it could be like CrossFit for your soul, right? Like it could be helpful. And I go, but what would you say are the major reasons like people don't mm. want to go? And he goes, Well, I think it because I always think it's filled with a bunch of pompous buttholes. And I go, mm. Yeah. And I go, I go, that's a, that's a good point. But I go, but imagine, <clears throat> you know, we got church here, like imagine, and like people can interact. And I was just describing refuge Long Beach church in a public space. Um, and I go, and he goes, yeah, but he goes, but what if I go and like, people are looking down on each other? Like, that's what I think. And I go, <laughs> I go, well, and I'm holding a pint and I hold it up and I said, but it's kind of hard to look down on people with a pint in your hand in it. And he goes, you got a really good point. And he goes, that is something right there. And I said, well, you know, it's funny, man, because that's why Jesus, you know, he they, he ate and drank with Like, he would have a drink with people. And he goes, wow, that's cool. I didn't know that. And I'm like, yeah, man, can you imagine, like, we're here and everybody's safe to, like, say, well, we put a discussion question up there and everyone can talk and we're all having a pint together. Nobody's getting drunk, you know, like, that's not cool. In a, in a in a church atmosphere, you know, I mean, and he goes, yeah, he goes, you know, I would go to that. I turn back to Eric and Eric goes, you just blew my mind, dude. Like, literally, like, because it was just like, let's just ask this guy right here. And I'm like, brother, we're doing it wrong. This next generation could actually thrive if the conditions were right, mm. you know. And, um, and I, I'll tell you right now, like, I'm planting again. It's funny. Because here I go planting again, and then I want to do this podcast again. Like, that has to be a connection. You know, we started this thing back when I was planting in Long Beach. Yep. I'm doing it now, and it's all interactive. Um, in fact, we don't have, like, what I call the evangelical bow tie, where you have, like, 30 minutes of singing, little nod of announcements in the middle, and then 30, 30 minutes of a of a sermon. What we actually have <laughs> right now is that's so funny. Evangelical bow tie, right? Little knot of announcements in the middle. Um, <laughs> it's funny because I can totally see that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so what we actually do is every week it changes. It changes houses. Uh, it came out of that house cleansing. All those people are there. That entire family now has come to faith. They're all there. It's amazing, mm. and. There's actually, I would say, probably about 60% unchurched, 40% people looking for a church after another church plant closed down. So it's really interesting because we're we're doing this rad little church plant. And, you know, we're, we're talking about maybe going to a coffee shop after hours. Like, you know, coffee shops don't tend to be open in the afternoons past a certain time. And we're like, well, why don't we just meet in one of those? Because we're outgrowing the house already. If everybody comes right now, we're close to like 40, 50 people, right? I think in a couple months, we're going to we're gonna hit capacity. Like we're almost to the point now where we can't fit 
in people's homes. Mm. And so we will be breaking off. It's going to be a micro church and church planning network. I think our mission is going to be, it's called the Abbey. I think our mission is going to be, this is weird, but um, I think I'm pretty settled on going into the prisons and helping people garden. And then garden, one of the, the garden. I know in that prisons? sounds really weird. I'm getting old, dude. I'm into like, do they and garden, garden in prisons? Yeah. And, and so we were looking. You know, it's there's... funny, but that dude I was telling you about at the cigar shop, he's done prison ministry. And so I told him I wanted to do it. And he reached out to me the other day and he's like, Hey, we're going to get a group together who want to start doing prison ministry. <laughs> That's what I want to do. But I, I more want to. Um, so Bo is one of the planners with us. He and Mary are planning with Andrew and I, um, and we all rotate the teaching and it's pretty cool. But um, Bo used to work with the San Diego County um, kind of concierging ex-cons in a community, like taking appointments and interviews and whatever, whatever they needed. There was a ministry that provided the service to the county, sure. yeah. which can, took them to probation officer appointments. And the county and that organization, it was a nonprofit, they, they got into it over something and it all broke apart. That's currently a gaping hole in North County, San Diego. Um, there are tons of ministers involved with the city council. City council in Oceanside meets regularly. So I, I'm I'm looking at all this, trying to figure it out, praying through it. But um, there are so many opportunities in a post-COVID world to do this. And if you think about it, even even during COVID, right? Um, the the obviously there were strictures, and everyone went to Zoom. My contention is. Most of what I wrote, Alan Hirsch wrote, Hugh Halter wrote, Brian Sanders wrote, it was all prepping. Neil Cole, it was all prepping for Caesar Cal. It was all prepping for the world to come. The church got all excited, gathered together, um, was like, well, look at us. We could do Zoom now. And you and I called it back then because we I think we were still podcasting. We were. Um, and we said, hey, I warned, hey, this is a point of no return. People aren't going to come back. Um, you're going to come back. And it turned out to be, you know, 33, about a third of people never came back to churches because they're going to figure out all they're doing is watching a show. When they figure that out, they're going to realize I can stay at home and watch a show. I don't got to go in, in person, get dressed up or right. whatever it is. I can save gas mileage and they're going to stay at home and they're going to watch better teachers than you because it's pick and mix now. It's smorgasbord on a, hey, who do you want to watch today this Sunday? And so I said, but the church also has an opportunity right now. They've tasted what it could be. Church in public space, face-to-face -face interaction, doing things you couldn't do. Funny enough, church attendance decreased. Small group attendance has increased. Those people didn't stop going to church. They discovered something better, right? They discovered first century style church. So what I would argue is that the church had an opportunity, the Holy Spirit provided. I believe that what um, Alan Hirsch, uh, I was, <laughs> funny enough, I was having bourbon and steak with him and Neil Cole like a couple months back. And as we were sitting down, Alan made this profound statement. He's actually quoting Rich Robinson, who's a guy up in Edinburgh. Um, he said this. He said, the last 10 years regarding missional church, a pass, it was prophetic. 
we were trying to awaken the church to the world that was coming. He goes, the next 10 years, I believe, will be apostolic. It will belong to the practitioners that get out there and do it. Mm. I'm just going to leave that mic drop there. Well, <laughs> do I go into simplified church? Oh, wait. <laughs> hey, while you're doing all that apostolic <laughs> practicing, <laughs> only long-time <laughs> listeners will understand the humor there. Oh, my gosh. We used to kick in, you know, hey, I mean, I, I still work with Josh over at Simplified Church. Maybe we should. I'm having conversations with Bose. I'm having conversation with, because uh, they're like, hey, open air. We got the, I literally walked up to the Bose booth at Exponential and was like, dude, I use that exact system in Refuge Long Beach in the open air. And they're like, oh, cool. And I'm like, you know, hey, I have this podcast, Church. I literally pitched him. And uh, I have his card right here. That's so funny. <laughs> he wants he wants to talk about sponsorship. So didn't we have like Regal at one time because they were like yes. doing church and movie theaters or something like that? Yeah, we had Regal, we had Belay, we had Moms and Touch. We had Mo Give until they sold off, and then and then the uh, they canceled the guy's credit card who we used to bill every month. <laughs> <for> <laughs> Man, we had all kinds of people. It's so funny, but yeah, hey, um, church planner, if you are looking to get a bookkeeper, I will tell you this: um, we do use SimplifiedChurch.com. They're amazing. They have customer services. The deal you need a report, you need something, uh, you need someone to to make sure you're uh, compliant with IRS. You go to SimplifiedChurch.com and tell Josh. Ask for Josh. He's the owner. Um, they'll do everything from helping you start up your incorporation articles to getting registered as a 501c3 with the IRS. Everything you need, just go talk to them. Payroll, they'll give you that too. Uh, if you want to take the headache and pressure out of all the crappy stuff no one wants to do, head on over to simplifiedchurch.com and they'll do all the crappy stuff for you. That's their new tagline, by the way. That's their new motto. Do the crappy stuff be. for you. <laughs> right? So, uh, yeah, that's it. Well, hey, if you want to reach the ones that no one's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. <laughs>